be looking at some farewell instructions from the Apostle Paul. I'm going to read, beginning at verse 17, in just a few moments, down to verse 38 instead of what's in the bulletin. But we're looking at the end of Paul's third missionary journey. He began this four to five years earlier in Antioch of Syria and then journeyed west, northwest to Antioch of Pisidia. He then went and spent three years in Ephesus and established a church there. He will be addressing most of the elders from Ephesus and a few other churches in our text this morning. From Ephesus, he went on to Troas and across the Aegean Sea to Macedonia, through Philippi, Neapolis, Amphipolis, Berea, Thessalonica, and then into Corinth, and then on his way back, stopping and visiting the churches that he had established, encouraging them, furthering some of their in, in instruction. He's on his way back. We will find out in our text to Jerusalem, and he, as you recall last week, stopped in Troas, preached all night, and his preaching proved deadly for Eutychus, but that's okay because Eutychus was restored to life. And you don't have to look there, but... I'm going to read just a few verses before Acts 20, beginning verse 13, for context. This is after that long night in Troas, after Eutychus was raised and Paul finished his message all night long. The next morning, he and his, I'm going to use the term posse, some of his traveling companions, Luke was among them, we're on their way back to Jerusalem. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for, he, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. Troas, if you've looked at any of these maps, was on the northern peninsula of Asia Minor, and it's just a small trip, a peninsula trip, or by sea around a kind of a land mass to Asos, which was on the southern side of that peninsula. And it was probably shorter to walk across that area than it was to go by sea. And Paul probably thought that there's a few people I need to see, so I'm going to go down to Asos by land, and I will see you there. Verse 14, when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day to opposite Chloet, excuse me, opposite Chios. And the next day, we touched at Samos. And the day after that, we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to set sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. 
Verse 17, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house testifying both to the Jews and the Greeks and to the Greeks of repentance toward God and the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city that, imprison, that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of grace of God. And now, behold, I know that one that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with us with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were, were met with me. In all things, I have shown you that my working hard in this way, we, by working hard this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. And they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Let us pray. Father, we ask for your blessing and your help as we look at this text. There are lessons here for us to dwell on lessons for the leadership, lessons for pastors, and lessons for the everyday Christian. May we be faithful to digest the truth that is before our eyes and before our hearts. It is for the glory of the name we pray. Amen. This is, as I mentioned before, a departure 
a departure message, farewell instruction from the Apostle Paul. It is given to the church or to churches that he administered to. It is. It seems to be first toward their leadership, but it is also. There are also implications for the whole flock. We want to look at Paul's commitment. We want to look at the elders' commitment. We want to look at the instructions for the elders. We want to see how the congregation must be aware because there are implications in these lessons that everyone should be faithful to. Starts from the top up all the way down to the lowliest on the pew. Those who are in ministry, full-time Christian ministry, the clergy, deal with problems that most people don't realize. From your point of view, from where you sit, it might look kind of easy. There are so many people who, well, good heavens, a preacher only works one day a week. It's not so. The attrition rate for pastors today over the last 20 years has been measured between 1,500 and 1,800 per year. Ministers who leave the ministry, not retire after a lifetime of work, but they just give up and walk away. 1,500 to 1,800 per year. Being a pastor is a very difficult, high-stress kind of a job. And men leave this place, leave their pulpits because of conflicts within the church. Demands on family time is high. Pastors devote themselves to the church in such a way that relationship with their spouse suffers, relationship with their children suffer. You often have heard the story that preachers' kids are the worst kids in the church. It's very probably because the pastor hasn't given time to his family as he should have. There is also then burnout, just wearing out in the harness, just getting so very tired and weary of it, always on call, always being available. And there's also those who withdraw because of moral failure. And there are some who who begin ministry and just aren't properly prepared or there's a poor fit. Ministry requires commitment. And if you're going to be a full-time minister, you have to be ready for the job. It might not be physically demanding work, but it is emotionally and spiritually and mentally demanding. One of the biggest things that I have adjusted, and it took me years to adjust, because being a pastor is a career change for me. I got was raised and I got so accustomed in my life, worked five days, got the weekends off. And for years, Friday comes up and I, 
I've got a weekend ahead that I still have to work. I've, I've still got stuff that needs to be done for Sunday. And then it's, 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 it's a mental, emotional kind of a, an adjustment to take. It takes a long time. You're accustomed to it, and then all of a sudden, you know how everybody spends time with family on weekends? Pastors don't get to do that so much. You know, everybody likes to plan trips away on long weekends. Pastors don't get to do that so much. It is an adjustment mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. It requires commitment. And ministry is not just about teaching people to be nice. It is teaching and training and encouraging and equipping people to be faithful to the Lord. And that is not always easy. Because people don't always listen. People don't always follow through. That's why the Lord Jesus himself wanted his followers, his disciples, to be aware. If you're going to follow me, there will be a price to pay. Blessed are you when people hate you when they, and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on the account of the Son of Man? Being a Christian is difficult. Ministry requires commitment, and it's not just about teaching people to be nice or polite or good to their neighbors. It's about being faithful to the Lord and to his word. Pastors and church leaders must make all Christians aware of the spiritual warfare the church is already facing. I know everyone here has been a Christian long enough to know that it, there is spiritual warfare going on. You need to be very aware that it is going on. It is blazing cannons right now. Just turn on the news. The confusion, the immorality, the insanity, that is evidence of spiritual warfare. God is giving over all those who will not repent to their own lusts, to their own devices. And while it seems so crazy, why can't we do it? They're falling into judgment. We need to pray for them. We need to do what we can to reach out to them. We need to stand firm where we are and not follow them. Ephesians 6, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It is spiritual warfare. So ministry does require commitment, and ministry is not just about teaching people to be nice. And it's not just spiritual warfare out there. It's also spiritual warfare within. We do our own battles. We recognize our own weaknesses. And sometimes it seems like a fight for our own survival. Christian faith, wonderful thing about the gospel, it is very easy to understand. A child 
can grasp the concept of the gift that God gives us through Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins, that's very easy to understand. But the Christian faith, in order to live it a lifetime, requires commitment. So as we look at our text this morning, we need to see that Paul is leaving. He's given this departure message, this farewell address. And he's giving it to the church. He's giving it to the leadership. He's also giving it to the congregations. The congregations might not be there, but, but since it's written down, we need to glean from these words whatever we can, even if all we do is faithfully come to worship on Sunday and faithfully live for him every, every day of our lives at home, we need to understand what is here. We see Paul's commitment. No one would doubt that Paul was a committed believer. This man is marvelous. After 2,000 years, there are so many Christians who Oh, Lord, if I could just be more like Paul. All right, think about it. Think about it. How was his commitment demonstrated? If you remember earlier in the message this morning, I talked about his path from Antioch in, in Syria all the way to Corinth. And then he worked his way back, but he's on his way back, three-fourths of the way back to Jerusalem. He's already written letters one and two to the church at Corinth. Do you remember in 2 Corinthians 11 what he wrote to them? There were some people who had come in to the church at Corinth and were teaching them false doctrine claiming to be of Christ, and they were not. And the Apostle Paul had heard about it, and he wrote them a letter. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman. I like King James who says, I speak as a fool. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift in the sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger at the fall from false brothers. In toil and hardships, through many of sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Look closely at those words. It's, it's kind of marvelous to see how this man endured such suffering. And then at the end of it, my heart was for the churches. I worried about them. I was concerned. I wanted them to be faithful to the Lord, and I feared that they would fail. That's what he means by there is daily the pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. That's the heart of a pastor. A true pastor would want his people to be faithful. A true pastor would want them never to stray. 
Everything else in Paul's life he was not worried about. He was worried about, more concerned about, the gospel taking fruit in the hearts and the lives and the souls to those whom he taught and discipled in order that they might bear spiritual fruit. So we see Paul's loving care for the flock. We see his faithful, he was faithful to establish and train leaders. We talked a bit about that last week. He wanted to know how the church, he wanted the church well equipped, so he was aware that he would not be there forever. He wanted the church to be able to carry on. He was faithful to the gospel message. Verse 18 in our text, Acts chapter 20. When they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of the repentance toward God of the faith and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's again, here again is Paul's heart, expressing his heart, his love for the people. He cared for them. He wanted to live with them. He did not want to be a burden to them. He worked. They call this tent making. He worked to earn his own living in order that the church would not have to support him. He did not want to be a burden, especially to new congregations. New, new, it starts out with little Bible studies. You, we might call them home churches, small groups, and then it built. It grew as people were reached. That's how he planted churches. And as these people grew, he would train them. You've got to be ready. You've got to be trained in order to quit to lead this church. He wanted them ready because remember in chapter in verse 25 of chapter 20 I know that none of you none among you whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom of God will see my face again he knew this was the last time he would see them so we see his commitment that goes without argument he was committed to the lord he was also committed to the gospel and he loved the people also we see the elders commitment he had already trained discipled some men in the church to lead the churches, the congregations they represented. Verse 17, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. He's traveling, is on his way back to Jerusalem. He doesn't want to go inland to Ephesus, take too much time. Too many people there. He knew that he was already there for three years, and he loved those people, and they loved him, and he knew that if he went in there, he would not be able to get away quick enough. You ever go visit somebody? Oh, we'll just stop in for a minute. Two or three hours later, why don't y'all stay for supper? He was afraid of that kind of a situation. 
So he sent a message, come to me, I have some words to share with you. Here we see a demonstration of the elder's commitment. From Ephesus to Miletus, it's about, if, you're, if you catch all your connections, you might get there in two days, but it was at least a three-day trip one way. They came there and back, about a six-day trip. These elders were committed to respond to Paul's leadership. Paul calls us, we will go. It was not an easy thing to do then because most people worked day to day. Most people then were merchants. They had to close up shops. They had to leave someone in charge or leave someone in charge. They, they couldn't oversee what they were responsible for. They had to drop pretty much what they were doing. They weren't just committed to Paul, but they knew that whatever Paul had to share was for the good of the church. That took commitment, that took sacrifice. Very often, that's what all elders need to do, both teaching elders and ruling elders. They also need to be, have commitment to be faithful to the church or to the flock. And then he gives instructions for the elders. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Paul understands that the call of God is something that is quite serious. It's important. It should have a first priority in our lives. And especially for these men, it says the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. These men received their spiritual gifts through the power of the Holy Spirit. They were given gifts of administration, gifts of teaching, gifts of ruling, gifts of shepherding. They had spiritual gifts in order to use, in order to lead the church, to care for the church of God. And this church is the church whom the Lord himself obtained with his own blood. Every Sunday morning and daily in my prayers, when I pray for you, I, I, I confess I don't always remember about these specific words, but I understand that you belong to the Lord. And as I pray for you, I should be remembering that your soul has already been purchased by the most precious commodity in this universe. You belong to him. You belong to him. The call to lead the church is quite severe, quite serious, quite important. James 3 
The brother of the Lord Jesus once wrote, Not many of you should become teachers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. God holds his prophets to higher accountability. That's why the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 said, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest any preaching to, after, any pre, after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This is why he said, pay careful attention to yourselves. Discipline your own lives in such a way that you do not bring shame or reproach upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There will always be a risk of attack, and there will always be a risk of failure. I like the words of C.S. Lewis. He makes it very clear. Enemy-occupied territory. That is what this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed, you might say, landed in disguise and is calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. For a man who long ago lived through the Second World War, these words had a very profound impact. When we share the gospel with the lost, when we share the gospel with those who are in deliberate, full-rage rebellion, we need to be praying that the power of his word and the power of the gospel plants seeds of sabotage. Not that they die, but that they die to self, repent of their sins, and come to the light to receive Christ as their Savior. That's what we need to be praying for. That's what we need to be working for. Since there is always a risk of attack, the Apostle Paul wrote, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own cells will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Paul said that some will come into the church teaching lies. He said, expect it. Here's the scary part. Some are going to believe it. Some will believe the liars and be led astray. All, we see that today. Just turn on your television and you can see it. You don't have to hunt for it. It's on nearly every channel on Sunday morning. Some are faithful, but some are preaching lies. He said that some among your own number will be drawn away into this error. The Lord Jesus himself, while he walked this earth, said, Beware of false prophets who come in to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. When he sent his disciples out, 
He warned them also, Matthew 10:16. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Church leaders need to be equipped. They may need to be ready, but you as congregation members, church members, you also need to be ready as well. Do not listen to strange doctrine. Do not be sidetracked by someone who looks nice or someone who looks wealthy or someone who's going to promise you affirmation or good feelings or comfort or ease. or wealth, or health, or prosperity, especially those. Just think of the millions of people who have followed those lies. What kind of impact, were they obedient, would they have upon this world? All of that money going to material things could be used for the gospel. That's false doctrine. That's false teaching. We need to be ready. Admiral Husband E. Kimmel had a stellar military career in the U.S. Navy. In 1940, he was assigned as the admiral in charge of Pearl Harbor. The Pacific Fleet had moved from San Diego headquarters to Hawaii, anticipating Japanese aggression in the South Pacific. I mean, they put their naval force there for a reason. And soon after Kimmel took command of Pearl Harbor, a message from Washington came to him by telegram saying that war with Japan was likely. Expect it. And Admiral Kimmel did not take any defensive posture, did very little to prepare. Some say that he was someone who was more of an offensive admiral instead of a defensive admiral. We don't have time to argue that right now. But on December 7, 1941, he was getting dressed to go golfing when the attack began. Quoting his very words, or words about his very event. During the attack, a 50 caliber bullet crashed through his window and grazed his uniform across the chest. It is reported that Admiral Kimmel stated to his communications officer at the time, it would have been merciful had it killed me, as he watched helplessly as the disaster unfolded. He was not ready. He was not alert. And according to history, he has borne the brunt and the dishonor of failure for the attack on Pearl Harbor. We must be ready. There are too many church leaders in, this, in the history of the church already who have failed. We must be ready. We must be faithful. 
Verse 31 of our text, therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you, commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Congregation must also be aware of the burdens that your elders, all of your elders, carry. I am very thrilled with the men that lead this church now. I know that they pray for you, not just in session meetings. I know they pray for you in their homes. I ask you to pray for them. Pray for us. Pay careful attention to yourselves. As Paul had challenged the elders to pay careful attention to themselves, I would ask you to do the same. Ephesians 5, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as it is proper among saints. Let there be no let there be no named among you. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking which are out of place. But instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not associate with them For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the true light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That word for discern, dokimazo, means to examine, interpret. In certain contexts, it could mean prove or demonstrate. Some people don't have any discernment because they don't think through things enough. We need to think through everything. We need to examine and compare it to Scripture. We need to interpret it according to Scripture. We need to prove whether it is right or wrong according to Scripture. We need to demonstrate it in our life. There you would have discernment. You would be living it. Many preachers today are false teachers. They may have a large following, but that does not guarantee that they are right. 
You need to be teaching your children at home the truth. Don't allow public school. If you send your children to public school, talk with your children when they get home in the afternoon and the evenings and sift through what they are teaching them and make sure your children know what is right and what is wrong. Teach your children in the home the things of the Lord. Live out your own faith before their eyes because they will watch you. What you tell them better be matching what they see you live. Does mom and dad really believe what they tell me? How are they living? What do they do? They are watching you to be assured by that what they, you tell them, you are living it. Teach your children at home. Live out your own faith before their eyes. Be careful of anyone in the church who tends to be divisive. Because in Christ, we are supposed to be one. We are supposed to be unified. We've seen Paul's commitment. We've seen the elders' commitment. We've seen instruction for the elders. We also, you as a congregation, also need to be aware of those instructions. The implications are applicable to every Christian, whether you're an elder, a church leader, or not. One final thought, brief, from C.S. Lewis again. If Christianity was something we were making up, of course, we could make it easier. But it's not. We are to be faithful because we are in spiritual war. Pray for your elders. Pray for your leaders. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. Help one another. Love one another. And we will see God's blessing upon this little flock. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this day and for this time together. We ask that you might help us be faithful to you in all things. Let us first of all be faithful to your word. And then to the faithful leadership that has been blessed in this congregation. And then to the brothers and sisters in Christ that make up this congregation. Let us honor your name by how we love one another. As John wrote in his epistles, let that be our mark, our sign. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.